Welcome back, and thanks for sticking it out. Here is part two of our interview with Madi Raza and David Madi. Cool. Well, we got one more question, and then we got a, we actually got two audience questions to get to. Nice. Good. I want to go back to this idea, uh, Madi, that you mentioned that it's it's the art of Mailchimp. It's a lot of templatizing. The fact that uh, Dave, you, and George A got the same email over and over. Insert first name here. This is a a topic that is just stuck in my brain. And I basically ask every guest about it. So forgive me listeners, but it's important, which is, is the sales metrics and the models by which we judge success partly to blame, right? It's how many calls did you make? How many accounts? And to your point, Dave, the BDRs just grind through numbers, right? It's that funnel. It's like, if I call X number of people and I, I do believe that you need to personalize, but I feel like the counterfactual somebody's going to throw back at us is like, it doesn't scale if they have to, you know, research each account. I, this is a tension that I think is sort of at the core. Yeah. The, answer, the answer is very simple, actually, to this. I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to answer your question so you don't have to ask this ever again. Thank you. And that is this. There's two problems here. Number one, who are the BDRs that are calling? Okay. There's two types, mm-hmm. those that don't want to do the job that are working in an organization and number two, third party companies. Those are who are calling you. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I wrong, guys? That's it, right? You're either getting that call that it's that weird call center guy that's calling you that has zero knowledge of cybersecurity. He's just calling you and you're just a number or it's someone actually calling from a vendor and he really doesn't want to do his job. Yeah? No? Am I right? Am I wrong? So that's the problem. You're not having professionals calling you anymore, right? So a part of my life, for example, I worked in real estate. And when you cold called as a realtor back in the days, because I learned from some of the old school realtors, they knew the street on a Pearly's map. They knew Mm. every single house. They knew the neighbors. Mm -hmm. They knew the school that's coming up in six years from now. Mm -hmm. They had knowledge. And so that's a true salesperson that's calling you. Imagine having a David calling a George and saying, hey, how's it going? Here's my credibility. And let's talk about your solutions. Well, I I was just going to say, I mean, I mean, I think just going back to the metrics thing, I'll I'll make a comment on some of that because I agree, Madi, there. I think the industry is going through a tough situation. I think CMOs, for example, right now at vendors have a very rough time because sales is always like, give us the leads, give us the leads, give us the leads, give us the leads. And marketing is turning to these cold call centers, turning to these lead gen companies to just blast out those emails, blast out the cold calls, do all that stuff so they can get those numbers. And yeah, inevitably, you know, a percentage will flip over and become deals and all that. But you know, it's interesting. Where, where does all the information go? Well, before even now, let's go to the second because I want to make yeah. sure George never asks this question again because I want yeah. to be the holy grail. Number two is the metrics that those third parties are led to. Yeah, mm-hmm. Those third parties, let's say they're calling out for four different vendors. They got to hit 50 leads because it's lead per sale. Yep. So they're driven right there. So they're going to take their folks and they're going to look at the list and they're going to go, okay, these four vendors, we're making the most money out of vendor A. 
let's give him or her those particular leads and so on and so forth. So from even a conversion standpoint, once those vendors get those leads, they're like, these are shit. Yeah. And so you mm-hmm. constantly have this thing that goes, the shit rolls up and the shit rolls down, that there's no business. So that's the frustration I think that we're running into. Yep. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle that's got to be broken. And at CyberX, we're actually breaking it in 2023 with some really cool, innovative uh, methodologies on changing that. Well, and Monty, I was just going to say, you know, all of these leads, where do they go? They go into what's called a CRM. What does yep. CRM mean? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Relationship yep. management. Yeah, there's none of that. But there's none of that. It's just spray and pray, generate the lead. I think this is a warm body. Just get it in there. So someone meets a metric and then they move it along. Um, And this is, it's just been, it's just been going on almost in, you know, perpetuity since, since we've digitalized and we've started to change this and now we're being hit on every single channel. But I think, you know, look, unfortunately we still need to kind of do some of this. Yeah. But then for some of the really savvy folks, if they're looking at <clears throat> the relationship management side, that's what it's all about. So going back to what George said earlier, you know, know who I am, know my problems. I have budget. It might be tight. It might not be tight, um, but it's probably tight. And I have things to do. I want to buy stuff. I want to buy stuff that's going to help me solve problems. I'm not sitting here thinking every vendor is an enemy. I'm sitting here and I, I have problems that need to be solved. And I want to talk to someone who can solve them, but don't mm-hmm. come to me and expect me like just, you know, you slap me in the face with your solution. I'm going to buy it. Well, it's never going to work. And you got to, I think everyone's got to go back to when they were a kid and they wanted to get that other kid to buy that train off of them or play that train, that Thomas the Tank, you know, toy, right? Mm-hmm. You had to kind of get their attention, right? You had to say, Hey, look, look at this cool toy train, right? And you got to show it and, and dangle it around. And, 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 you know, so I think we got to go back to some of those core values. The problem is, again, Generation Z that's making those calls, that's working for that vendor that doesn't want to do it, is getting on the call and just spraying. And they need to see results because they're getting the pressure. So there's no proper quality sales process in place. And that's why it's broken. That's why there's ranting and raving on LinkedIn. Uh, which doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, the problem is we're just not putting in the right place. If I could could raise one point, though, our last guest, Eric Akins, who's brilliant in her own right, she brought this up and I've thought about it ever since. I think the way that uh, venture capital is driving the tech industry right now is a huge part of the problem because the goals for growth are just not We're not speaking realistic terms. (laughs) 100% plus year over year growth. And then, George, you need to talk about this too. I mean, like, how do we even begin to unwrap that? Because the VCs, just as much as you're right, man, the Gen Zers who are being lazy and putting corners are a problem. But the VCs who are being like, you're not producing enough, they're not being given the time to learn the industry. Am I wrong? 100%. Yeah. I, I, that certainly feeds into it because I think at the end of the day, you know, look, if, if you, if you are, one of these vendors and you found a product market fit, AKA meaning that you found, you, you, ha- you built technology or a solution and there's market need out there. And some of them, arguably there could be massive markets. Mm-hmm. And so, but they don't really know how to get their product to the market. So they're doing spray and pray, right. To again, meet some of those perhaps insane goals that they've signed up for George, but 
at the same time, right? They know there's a large market out there. So they're just doing all this massive spray and pray and trying to do this when I think, I think we might, dare I say, uh, are we at the cusp of some kind of phase change with this? I mean, we've got things like, look, look at how all of us here today connected. We all connected through LinkedIn. And we just didn't accept the connection request based blindly. We, We kind of like, you know, we looked at each other, we looked at our backgrounds, we saw what we were doing and we were like, okay, I'm going to trust this person. Maybe not totally, but I'm going to trust, trust at least contacting this person and engaging with this person. I'm going to put in time to do it because there's something there of potential value both ways, bi-directionally. And then we went for it. Right. And I think, I, I think that's really what we need to focus on. And this, this spray and pray, I think is, is it's, it does have to change, but we're going to have to go through that evolution. Yeah, just to in this, what's the solution? I'll, I'll you know I'll say it in thirty seconds here. The solution is organizations need to invest in their people. We always talk about this, you know, people process mm-hmm. technology. I don't think we're spending money on our people to really educate them and give them that guidance. Yeah, I I really believe, Dave. I hope that we're in that phase change because I believe that the scale that we think that automation can get us to, we. We're only seeing it in one direction, but it cuts both ways, right? Because again, as we go back to, if you develop that reputation, you you actually have limited the possibility of that scale because you've just burned so many bridges or, you know, because George A has shown me his inbox where he's got like 60 emails from one vendor in like 60 days and it's just yeah. abusive. And then he's just like, I'm never going to buy from these people. And they don't know that. Like on the on the other end, the person who's just hitting whatever sequence is like automating those emails has no idea. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm totally working Ruby. It's definitely in my forecast. And he's got no clue that George is like kibosh on that entire vendor. Never doing business with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hope so too. I mean, look, we... Once we, I think, go through some of these phases and we start to, you know, understand the value of, you know, social networks, all these kinds of things, um, you know, on one hand, it is easier for us to connect with each other. But on the other, it's easier for us to connect with each other, which means (laughs) that we could be bombarded very easily with all this stuff, right? So, you know, positive and negative, right? But I think as we start to mature in our own right, I think we're like little children when it comes to... The, this type of technology when it comes to sales and marketing. And we haven't grown into these shoes yet, if you will. And I think, you know, for those savvy vendors, uh, like Mahi's talking about with CyberX and some of the things that they've done just with, you know, the stadium analogy and bringing people together and just being kind of connected with each other and sharing stories in the trenches of, you know, all of these types of things. That's what really moves things. And what I'm seeing, and I certainly saw with Gartner, quite a bit is I'd have a client call in to me and, you know, they might say, Hey, let me look at the vendors in the magic quadrant. And sometimes say, okay, timeout. Like, what are you actually looking to do here? Don't look at the magic quadrant. I want to know what your situation of problems you're solving. And then they would talk to me about all this stuff. And I'd say, you know, I know someone I could connect you with, but I need your permission and I'll, I'll, you know, and they're a friend and maybe they're another CISO that just went through this. And you know, maybe don't go and buy the the top of the right vendor. Talk to this other person. And, you know, they eventually meet them. They have that conversation. They're like, that was amazing. That short-circuited so much research because I didn't get the same vendor that they got, but they shared with me some of the work that they put into it. And like their third vendor for them is actually my first vendor for me. 
you know, yeah. so th- those connections and the networking helps a lot. And I think when people figure out a way to, to connect these, these, the lines of communication and marketing with the ability to connect at, at the high level, uh, you know, build those relationships, I think it, it, it goes a long way. It's, it's all about trusted. It's all about trust. It's all about being able to trust people you're talking to. And I think the common thread between what George said earlier and then the training couldn't agree more. Companies expect you to show up and have all the skills. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how it used to be, by the way. You know, long time ago, you would show up and they would train you. And a lot of companies aren't doing that anymore. And it's like, shame on you guys, right? Like, it's like, go, go work somewhere, get training. And then they go to another company and they're like, well, we don't want to train you. That has to change too. And so I think the vendors that put the time and effort into their people have really good training for their people. They'll be able to approach people like George, have the conversation, build the relationship. And then maybe George isn't ready to buy today. But then when he's ready to buy, he's like, I'm calling Monty back because last time I talked to him, I learned all this stuff that maybe I wasn't doing. And he connected me with other CISOs that showed me some really cool things. And they're gonna, he's going to remember money forever. Yeah. And, and so just to add to that, you know, I spent about 20 years. I'm still a licensed realtor in the province of Ontario. I've been a realtor for about 23 years. And one of the things I realized in 23 years of doing real estate when I was 21 years old, and I, ha- I had clients calling me five years later, people that I would speak to that would, I would meet at a coffee shop calling you five years later. Because you were on their MailChimp or their you know email that would go out every once in a while, but I had a connection, and so I think there's that patience. And again, we run into that problem that BDR wants that quick sale because mm-hmm. he or she wants to move up to that next position, and so it's instant gratification. So it's that same circle again. Sorry to come back to it, but I think that's the problem. There's no education and training. Okay. Cool. Well, this is a brilliant place to take a short break and we will be back with our audience questions. All right. We are back for audience questions. Thank you for sending these in. So, uh, David, you brought up something in your experience at Gartner, which seems to touch on this. So we have a question in from Maria Graham, who's on the vendor sales side. And she asks, where are CISOs doing a majority of their research for how to solve a particular problem before they are willing to engage with vendors, right? I think there's a lot out there about how the customer journey is completely shifted. Um, and by the time they get to your website, they've probably already done like 70% of their research on their own, but curious to get your take and, and Mari too, what you have heard at CyberX would be valuable too. Yeah. So, so, so absolutely great question. Um, so let me, let me first start with this. Uh, there's a, there's a, it still should be available a free, uh, ebook from Google and, uh, it's called the zero moment of truth. Um, so long time ago, there's a lot of research into, you know, marketing products, physical products that would go on shelves, let's say your grocery store. And there's a first moment of truth, second moment of truth, third moment of truth. What are these very quickly? Well, if you're in the grocery store and let's just say you're, you know, you've got ketchup on your shopping list and you're moving your cart through and you see a bunch of things on the shelf, some other variety of ketchups there. Um, you know, that's the first moment of truth, right? Is, is how it's placed on the shelf, the label that it has, maybe it's price, that kind of thing, right? So going back to what Madi said before, we do have to do some some uh some flashy things to get attention and sometimes you know in that first moment of truth when you first see it 
you know, you go, okay, maybe I'll buy this Heinz ketchup because it's, you know, they've got mm-hmm. a big promotion going on and they've got some yellow or red sticker that gets my, my lizard brain attention. I grab it, I put it in my cart. So now you're kind of at like, you know, approaching the second moment of truth because now it's in my cart. I go to buy it. I'm committing part of my wallet to buy this product. Third moment of truth is now I try the product at home and, you know, do I like it or not? So product designers, you know, they think they were, they would traditionally think through these different phases, right? How do we get their attention in the first moment? How do we make sure that they drive it through a second? And then third, we want to make a good high quality product that people actually enjoy. And by the way, Apple's a good example of this, whether you like Apple or not. Unboxing, right? Feeling the pro- the look and the feel of the products, right? Mm-hmm. Other, other uh, uh, you know, car manufacturers like Tesla, they pull on these elements. But Google talked about this thing called the zero moment of truth. What's the zero moment of truth? Before I even get into the ketchup aisle, I know I need ketchup. You know what I'm going to do in this day and age? I pop open my phone, go to the web browser, and I Google... What is the best ketchup? Mm-hmm. Right? So buyers are doing that. The first thing they're doing nowadays, whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a new PC, or you're buying a new endpoint security platform, you might go and do a Google search and say, what's the best endpoint security platform? Right? And this is where our vendors, they might argue over AdWords and all sorts of things, paid search, all that kind of stuff. Right? But that aside, what I've found a lot of folks that I work with, they might go to things like Gartner, and especially if they're a subscriber, then they'll dive into the research. And generally nowadays, a lot of people don't have a lot of time to dive in deeply. Yeah. So when I was at Gartner, I was on the phone, you know, six hours a day with clients because they just want to talk to me first for 30 minutes, get the lay of the land, and then I might fire some research over to them. And that's where they start, right? So I can try and short circuit a lot of things. But they might also look at things like G2. G2 is a crowdsourced kind Mm -hmm. of reviews platform. So you do see those in search results. So they might look at that because they can kind of see a digest of people's reviews of products and services. So, you know, I'd say, I'll just say my advice in two things and I'll, I'll wrap up here. If you are a tech provider and you're looking at, you know, how does it get your products to, to folks think about zero moment of truth first and second, right? Always think about that with your products. Um, But how are you showing up in search? And how are you showing up with these outside advisors and these crowdsourced review sites, right? Make sure that your products are doing what they say in that third moment. And if you are, you'll, you'll get those good results. Um, and, and if you're a practitioner and you're looking for these things, you know, continue to do your searches. But if you have access to Gartner and these other things, leverage them because they spend so like myself, I covered data security and identity and access management. I spent so much time looking at authentication solutions, access management solutions. So I just knew what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I would never say, oh, this is the best vendor ever. Yeah, they might be the best vendor for a hospital or for a car manufacturer or whatever. And so I know when I get that phone call and they're like, hey, David, I'm so-and-so and I, I'm the CISO of a school district. Great. Okay. We're looking at buying this particular vendor because they're in the top right. Because I saw that in the Google search and I go, hold on, pump the brakes. Again, like I said earlier in the podcast, yeah, yeah. right? What are you trying to do? And then I can line up their stuff. So hopefully that helps. But that's that's what I would recommend today. And that's certainly what I've seen. Search engines are massive, massive today. You know, yeah. it's out there. <laughs> I'll just add to that just quick, just to answer that question. 
uh, events. I think vendors are, you know, have a great opportunity to do that. As David talked about reports, white paper, Gartner, et cetera, their own circle of influence, people that they know. Yes. Uh, their own research, which we talked about, advertisement, where you show up. I also think to other places, their own staff, their own staff may come up to them and say, hey, there's a really cool, you know, to solve this, there's something really cool out there. Um, and then their own vendor, maybe they're, they're dealing with a specific company and they're like, hey, by the way, can you tell us about this? Yeah. And it's, and I'll just, yeah, word of mouth, right? Because we did talk about it before, you know, if George taps his network because he's like, maybe he's looking at CrowdStrike or he's looking at other things and he taps his network to say, is this the right solution for me? And he can talk to maybe another CISO that runs a similar type business that faces similar compliance needs and threats. And, you know, that, again, can short circuit things for George on top of his own organic searches and all that other stuff you might do. Great question. I have to appreciate uh, Maria for that. She, um, she just started watching the pod or listening to the pod as well, and she has already been actively participating. So uh, appreciate the question, nice. Maria. Uh, we got a question as well from uh, Ryan Porgy. Uh, they ask, uh, how does CISO decide between product or service that can demonstrate the same outcome. You know, for example, decide between two security tools that block nine out of ten phishing emails. And, and David, you're a gardener guy. You know you've had to help with that magic water. It's always just that little minutia of a difference. Um, you know, does it commonly boil down to budget, brand reputation, trust relationship? How how would you do? How would you do? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it, it's one of those things where you know, look. I, the, the thing when you're on the inside of Gartner, especially the magic quadrants is yeah, whatever, what, what drove us crazy as analysts is again, the, unfortunately, I just have to say the lazy logic of just looking at the leader's quadrant all the time. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I mean, many, but Gartner now has what's called critical capabilities. So if you're a Gartner subscriber, you can go in and it's almost like a customizable magic quadrant. What do I mean by that? At the end of the day, that chart that you see, um, they rate you on ability to execute and then innovation, right? The X and Y axis. Now, you really have to look at the fine print. And the fine print is is usually towards the bottom of the report. And the report will talk about, you know, the um, the use cases effectively, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes they might say, you know, we typically focused on, I don't know, I'm just making up a number because this is a blanket statement for many of these magic quadrants. Uh, you know, hey, we're looking at two, you know, two thousand users and above, right? And so all the use cases that they looked at for each one of those vendors in the magic quadrant, they were only looking at two thousand users and above. Well, what if you are a five hundred person shop? Yeah, does that make sense for you to look at that? Right? Are those vendors perhaps going to work well for you? So critical capabilities allows you to go in and adjust some of the requirements and you can change the weighting based on some of the, the, the critical capability areas and that might spit out different results for you. Um, and so what always drove us crazy was I almost had a boilerplate elevator pitch of someone would ask me for the top vendors or want to talk, talk to me about that top right quadrant and then I'd say, I'd say the same thing every time, like stop, pause. What are you doing? Let's take a look at, all, at, at your actual requirements and what you need to do. Um, because again, like I said earlier, nine times out of 10, and I don't blame them for this at all, uh, they don't have a lot of time, right? Mm. Constantly trying to put up fires and do things. I know they didn't go and read the fine print, right? At least right away. 
Generally, if they did, the conversations would be very different. Um, but most of the time, people don't. So bless their hearts. They didn't have time. So I, I saw myself as an advisor. I hold their hand. I walk them through it. And I try to give them the best advice I can that's contextualized for them. Anyway, I'll stop there. Maybe I'm getting off track, but I'll just stop. <laughs> I'll stop myself. Let's spin this a little bit from, from Maddie's perspective. And say, yeah. Maddie, yeah. let's say you are a salesperson, uh, you know, the number three or number two uh, supplier in a space, whether it's an IAM product or a firewall product, whatever it is. You're not the best, but you're really good. How do you get yourself into that inside track and close the sale on someone who might So it comes down to persuasion, right? And at the end of the day, I think the art of persuasion comes down to really your testimonials. Um, so being able to say, look, you know, X, Y, Z organization is using it. Here's a testimonial and actually getting them involved in that process, I think, um, would drive a lot. And, and actually, I wanted to, in, in the part of the first question that you asked to, to David, I wanted to ask you, George, what percentage of your decisions have been based on testimonials, either A, that the the, the sales company that, that they present to the salesperson or B from your circle of influence that's have said, you know what, this is a product I use and it's great. What percentage of those have been the decision why you said yes with that product on testimonials? So what's interesting about this is I will take a vendor's provided testimonials with a grain of salt because I, I always kind of assume that like the game rule of rigged because I don't know what the nature of their respective relationship is with that with that client, whether they're like their personal friends and it's like, hey, they just don't get the sale or whatever. But I will seek it out. What I'll try to seek is a confirmation from my own network. That's what I mean. So I'll be like, I've heard mm-hmm. that from their side. And I'll ask guys like David, like, hey, what do you think about this? And if they're like, yeah, man, it's totally good. Then that close it. Then I will turn around and I'll do everything I can to make sure that I get that thing and I get it installed in my network ASAP. Yeah. So what I would do is, so let's say David was the guy that was my client and I'm trying to pitch you in that situation. I would get David to record a testimonial and and send you a video email and be like, hey, you know what? David's taking this product. It's done this, this, and this. I would have, what is it called? Loom. I put myself in the bottom mm-hmm. right hand side and say, look, this is what it is. This is how it's going to solve it. We've been through that whole process and the sales process now. Let's now move to the action point, right? Let's Let's motivate you to now make that decision. That's a brilliant sales tip, man. Any sales you were listening, include video, <laughs> include multimedia. Multimedia, yeah, yeah. I think, is the is is where we should be at, right? Because it's quick to the point, it gets the message across, and it's just a different way of uh approaching. So and again, you may you like that, but David may not like that. He may he may like a one pager that breaks down everything that he's got to take up to his CFO just to get the final approval, right? Because we're talking about the third step in the process, mm-hmm. right? Which is that desire, persuasion. That's the question you asked me. So that's what you have to do in that little section. Yeah, I take that. All right. Well, cool. Uh, we are, we could go for hours, but we're not going to. Um, we, <laughs> we, uh, we call this bare knuckles and brass tacks. I think we've bloodied the knuckles quite a bit. So it's time to get down to brass tacks because we're not here to just admire problems. Um, so Mari, I want to start with you. I, I love this science and art that you're bringing to the game. I love that you can get it down to pretty foundational principles rather than kind of like esoteric, uh, methodologies, but we'll, we'll start with you, uh, Mari, and then we'll go to you, David yep. blue sky top two 
discovery questions that you would recommend to a vendor? You know, what are the top two that every salesperson should kind of have in their back pocket that's going to help them either sort of build trust, which we've talked about, or just show that they're paying attention and listening, right? Like, yeah, either one of you. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, there's at the end of the day, you know, going back to that health care sort of industry sort of side, right? At the end of the day, uh, what is a doctor doing? Right. A doctor has a responsibility to really take care of some threats that are coming down the pipeline and, and mitigate those threats. Right. And at the end of the day, cybersecurity is that we're all trying to solve some sort of problem of someone trying to get in through our front door. Um, what part of that house that they're trying to get into? That's a different conversation. So I think really from a discovery standpoint, you really want to find and identify what is the exact problem. That's it. Because if you don't have a problem, there is no solution. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're trying to sell, like if I walk in a store and I'm looking for black shoes and you're trying to sell me a, a belt, um, <laughs> we're, we're not going to get anywhere, right? So active listening, um, there has to be a product knowledge as well. I think that's the other problem, right? People, it's just like if you're trying to sell a medication to a doctor, if you don't know what it is, and I'm sorry to say, if you have to say, let me get back to you, I know people have talked about, oh, it's actually good to say, hey, let me get back to you. I'm sorry. No, it isn't. You should know what you're talking about or don't pick up that phone, period. Mm -hmm. And that's my stance on it because if you don't have confidence about your product, you're not going to be able to have a conversation with George. And George is going to see right through that and he's going to rip you apart right off the bat. But if you're coming in and I'm able to tell something to George that George didn't know about his problem, George is now going to give me that three seconds of his valuable time. And within those three seconds, I'm going to be able to build a mile deep rapport that will last for a lifetime. Well, I think that's where the discovery is, is identifying the problem and asking those questions. And I, I think from my side, I would just, just adding on to that is add value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that be, you know what, George, I know you don't have a lot of time to talk, but Hey, you know, are you looking at pen testing services? I already have that. Okay, that's that's great. Do you know where you are relative to other people in your industry? Uh, I I don't really know. Hey, you know what? I know that you already have some stuff, but I've got some tools. I'll just share it with you if you want. I've got some maturity curves I could show you, which can rate you relative to others. It's free. Just use it on your own time. I know you're busy. Whatever. Right. That's just one example mm-hmm. where it's like I'm speaking confidently. What Marty just said about potentially services I have. And I'm also speaking confidently about, Hey, you know, George, there's other folks that I know other CISOs, maybe I name drop them, um, that have used this tool and it helped them at least size, size up. And by the way, what we spit out, you can just put in a business case. It's free. There's no pressure. You don't have to buy anything from us. And even if you sign up, we're not, I'm going to make sure you're not going to get bombarded with emails and stuff like that. I just want to help you solve that problem that, you know, let's just say maybe you have in healthcare. Again, you're adding value, you're connecting the big, big picture that, if, you know, you've listened, you've studied where, where he went and you did some kind of mapping um, to perhaps other CISOs or other uh, security leaders that he might know if you did some research. And, and to, to sum it up, what, what did we all say? It's called empathy, period. Understanding what the other person is, their issues are. Right? If you lack empathy, you're not going to do well in the discovery stage. 
So Google empathy and how to be empathetic <laughs> in a sales process, and that'll solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Zero moment of truth. Yeah, I, I, I love it. George A is big on on empathy too, and I I I see anytime somebody's willing to either take a LinkedIn connection or talk to me in any way, shape, or form is just a door open for curiosity. Like, I just want to learn, you know, like, what's your bag, man? Like, how did, how did you get where you are? You know, what's your, you know, what are you interested in? I, because I don't know, I, I, I can't, I'm not a transactional person. I just feel really slimy doing it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the business end of the stick soon enough, but over to you, uh, George A. That's actually a really good segue into that. I was going to ask you guys, um, for the up and coming, you know, subject matter experts in the field, particularly on the client side, how would you two recommend approaching building your networks with intent, you know, while balancing the need to be genuine, uh, or sorry, sorry, balancing the need to be genuine with the need to be goal oriented? So, I mean, like, we're not in this game to just make friends. You know, we're all in this to make money, but it's a lot easier to do business with your friends, no? Yeah. I, I'll go really quick, and then Marty, you you know, you jump in uh, where where you'd like. Um, Marty mentioned it before, but like some of the events, CyberX events, you know, Gartner events, other events, Black Hat. Um, but in particular, though, you know, like what we're going to do at the CISO forum later in January. But what I've done in the past at at Gartner is, um, you know, when I've done these roundtables uh, at some of the Gartner events where they're closed off to tech providers. Um, and it's just the practitioners. So it's like a safe space where someone like yourself, George, if you're totally new, you're new to the area, you're new to that part of, uh, you know, the industry and you're coming in, it's a great safe space for you to connect with other security leaders and have discussions being like, Hey, I just took this over. I think our maturity program is immature. I need to kind of figure it out. And then you might meet some other folks that they're all there to help each other. They're there to network. They're there to, to help the community. And they might say, you know what, connect with me on LinkedIn and, and let's just have a call later on. Or we'll, at this event, we'll just, let, let's just break off and go have a coffee and just, just have a chat. I've, I've had so many discussions like that where I've built lasting friendships, including yourself, George, right? Um, where it just happened where you just connect at these events. So that that's one, one big piece of advice. The other thing too would be, you know, yeah, don't be shy to connect on LinkedIn, like how all of us met, right? We all met over LinkedIn. Um, don't be shy to find other folks that are in certain communities or they're doing podcasts or they do other meetups, virtual meetups, connect with them there. And uh, it's, again, these can be safe uh, places for you to meet these folks. And it can create uh, a lot of really good things that can help you in your job. Use the community. It's there. Uh, and just to answer to that, just to add to that, I think there's a thing called skill and a thing called will. you got to have both, right? Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, you know, made hundreds and hundreds of shots just in practice. Uh, Tiger Woods took a, a thousand hits every day. He loved what he did, right? Um, that comes down to will. Uh, then there's skill. Right. And you perfect that skill. So I think in the, in building your network, you got to cont continuously update your network. You got to continuously build that, you know, build your skill. All right. Understand what part of cyber that you're getting involved in and, and really continuously learn about it. As you're learning about it, you're going to come across different people. You're going to come across different thought leaders. You're going to come across different forums and events and articles and information. And you're going to continuously upgrade. And you're going to build that network naturally, organically. So you don't have to sit there 
and and do research, it's actually coming right at you. But that mm-hmm. only comes if there's a will and a desire to expand your knowledge. If it's not there, then the skill is going to lack and you're just wasting your time. Better off just staying home and baking, you know, cookies, because at the end of the day, <laughs> you're wasting your time. And, and really, that's what it is, right? This is not for you. Go do something else because you got to want to love what you're doing. Amen. Cool. All right. So uh, I'm actually going to pull the surprise punch and go after George A. on this one. So you're a contributor in the book and you write about the importance of building and managing relationships, right? From everything from like cold outreach to renewal time, right? And it comes down to how the buyer feels about that seller. Do they get the creeps? Do they feel trust? Do they feel taken care of? So I'm going to ask you first, but what is the best way to make initial contact like we, it's easy to rag on the cold calls it's easy to rag on the spam and spray and pray so those aside what's your sort of preferred method of like how does that first interaction go well, i think it, it honestly comes down to like, like how are we meeting right so if it's online mm-hmm. or if it's in person um typically like it really comes down to what it is you're trying to push. Are you trying to push a service versus are you trying to push an actual product? And the other thing, and Dave mentioned earlier in the call, it's about like budgetary life cycle. So, you know, if you, like there are some salespeople where the life cycle or the sales cycle for what they're trying to push is going to be close to a year. And that's because the item that they're selling costs over a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. So for the size of my organization, the medium-sized software company, that is the kind of thing where I'm going to have to get the stakeholder buy-in from across the board. That's, that's not an overnight thing. So they're going to have to, as Maddie talks about multiple times in this conversation, patience. If that individual can show patience and if they can actually, you know, and, and, and you're just like a thing that exactly how we do, where it's like, look, I'm going to be level with you and I will tell you, look, if you talk to me about a thing and let's say your initial conversation is, hey, I represent this company. This is what we do. We provide you know, this type of platform and it's really good and list off reasons why it's good and it resonates with me. And that's really all of it. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey, so I know that you guys are probably running something in the cloud. We're doing this type of solution in the cloud space. These are kind of our value props. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. And that leads into the conversation. From there, it's, like, it's a shift into relationship management because if I can't buy it in the short term, don't try to pester me to meet your quota because your quota is not my problem. Well said. Right. right. So if, if it's if it's clear that you're actually genuinely trying to help me, and we all know that this is business and money's at play, and I know you have to meet your deadlines and I have to meet my requirements. If we can all acknowledge what the dance is, George, I know you love to say that, and then we can like relax and like, all right, cool. Can you get what the boundaries are of this game? Now can we like chill and just like up and see how it goes, then that's someone I can do business with. Because there are some salespeople to this day that I want to get their product. I'm still working on getting the stakeholder buy-in on my end. And they know that. And they know that I want their product. They've shown patience. They've shown a willingness to continue to work with me. And they're still continuing, as David mentioned, to add value where they can without mm-hmm. any immediate gratification or return. That, that, to me, creates a, an avenue where I want to commit to that sale. I want to commit to seeing that sale through because that interpersonal relationship is genuine. It's built on trust. And I don't 
want to waste that salesperson's time. But if I feel like I'm just another number to them, and you know, like Dave mm-hmm. said, it's just a spray and pray thing, and it doesn't matter whether I buy it or whether I die, <laughs> I, I don't want to deal with that person. Well, the that that uh, email that we both received the other day was uh, <laughs> a welcome uh, comical uh, uh, talking point for us. <laughs> oh yeah, things like that. But but uh, yeah, no, I, I I feel you, George. I mean, even even if you're not ready to buy, someone who is really smart and building a relationship with you could even you know say, I'm not even just going to add value by sending you tools. I'm going to add value by introducing you to other folks that perhaps I've helped in the past that when you talk to them, you know, you could talk to them about what they bought from me. Fine. But talk to them about their whole security program and other mm-hmm. things. But, and you're going to take that on. You're going to be like, great, another great connection I'm going to have in the industry that I can learn from and foster that. Right? So. Yeah. And just to add to that, it's patience within the book. There's a lot of discussion with that with Kusharma, ex, you know, season for, uh, for City of Toronto. He's talked about how it is in the public environment. Uh, Hashim has also talked about it in the public environment. And, and it's at the end of the day, like if I'm calling up uh, George and I'm saying, hey, I'm trying to sell you some hybrid active directory protection. George has already signed a three year, two year deal with someone that's already doing that. And I'm still trying to jam it down his throat. A, I'm not only going to lose that, 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 that connection in the future, I've lost respect as well in the industry. Uh, but if I say, hey, you know, I'm doing these really cool things. This is how it can work. George might maybe in six months go, wait a minute. You know, that guy was talking about that. Let me message him and, and ask what it is that they're doing. And and there's an opportunity. So patience is a, is a virtue here, literally. I'll do one even better as well. If I can't buy it, but I know that your solution is a good product for we'll that market segment. Yeah. I'll connect you to my friends who need it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So don't burn bridges, people. Yeah. Don't well, it also, it also it also speaks to like what we were saying about the the metrics is like you basically have to be active all the time, right? Because if you hit George A and it's like cool in the gang, but I don't have any budget right now, you can't don't put that as an opportunity in Salesforce, right? And just be yeah. like, all yeah. right, cool. I got to do. I got this. This is the rhythm we got. Now I got to go find some other people, right? I got to build that pipeline, but you're going to have to be active all the time at that level. Yeah. Cool. Well, gents, uh, that is a lot of time that we've spent with you and you have spent a lot of your valuable time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure and hope to do more in the future. Yeah, Absolutely. Likewise, I am likewise. super jealous that I don't get to get up to Toronto for the 31st. Dude, Chris Roberts is going to be there. Where are you? Uh, I, got, I got I got I got another commitment. I know, I know man. I know. <laughs> we're going yeah, no, to make we, it happen. We also just introduced Wendell Clark, a uh, longtime fan of Wendell Clark, number 17, Toronto Maple Leaf player, uh, you know, who was a, a badass, used to really uh, tear it up on the ice. And, and uh, you know, I was talking to him and, and one of the really cool things that was mentioned was on you know getting punched in the face and getting back up so for everyone that's listening that's you know in sales remember you're going to get punched in the face it's okay get back up um dust yourself off be humble be respectful and and keep motivating yourself right uh and and remember it's a it's a doggy dog world out there but um persistence is key that's amazing man like one kingston boy to another i can't wait to meet wendy that's what i'm gonna be Unreal. I grew up like I, I absolutely adored that guy as a kid. Nice, but, nice. Yeah.
Cool. Well, that is a that is a perfect place to end a podcast called Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks is you're going to get punched in the face, but don't be afraid to get back. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. If you like what you heard, subscribe today to catch up on old episodes like our interview with sales leader Neil Saltman and to get new ones in your feed. New episodes drop every other week. Follow us on LinkedIn for additional news, events, snark, and more. Stay tuned for our upcoming interview with Nico Chesno. Bye for now. Bye for now.